Amen. All God's people said amen. There's a lot to rejoice about. Number one, it's really good to see you guys again. And um, time off was good. Enjoyed visiting different diners, drive-ins and dives in San Antonio. There's a place called Taco Taco. I think I ate Taco Taco for two or three days. It was really good. Um, we had a good time, able to get away and rest some and um, be re-energized. Somebody asked me if I was, and um, I think I am. I feel good. Um, one of the blessings that the Lord reminded me of was to be in your presence and to be with you and to be able to just have a relationship with you and just to be able to, to walk side by side with you as we look forward to the coming of our Lord. He's coming, and it, I believe it's soon. And the question becomes, how will he find us? That's something to think about. I want to give you a little commercial this morning about what's coming this month, so that you will know. Uh, you are expecting me to say, turn your Bibles to 1 John, and you will, but it will not be until the first Sunday in August. The reason for that is next Sunday and the following Sunday, the 17th and 24th, um, the elders have requested I do a little series on the deacon and elder. And uh, so I'm going to do that and be teaching on deacons and elders and the importance of deacons and elders within the body of Christ. That it's God's church and that um, he has in mind a structure. And that structure is a protection plan for his body. And that's the only way to look at it. That he had us in mind that he wants to protect us as a body of believers. And in doing so, he's laid forth in the church those who are deacons and they serve as deacons. And those who are shepherds who serve as elders. And so my prayer is that you will um, benefit from this. That you will come to understand a little better. I know you've heard the terms and you're familiar with all that. But to take a fresh look at what does God expect of deacons and what does God expect of elders. Uh, is they're very high callings that the Lord has in a man's life. We want to look at that. And then on the 31st of the month, we will uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together uh, before entering in back into 1 John and the second part of that. All right. This morning, we're going to take some time to look at Psalm 150. I did not know this, but Ron and them were singing Psalm 150 today. I think that's, is it, where'd he go? There you are. Um, that's the title of the song, Psalm 150? Yeah. And so we're talking on the phone a couple of days ago, and, and uh, he, we were at, he was asking what I was going to be doing, and, and I'm like, I'm doing Psalm 150. <laughs> and he's, he's like, oh, we're singing Psalm 150. So you got to hear it sung, and you're going to hear it this morning as we look through it and teach what God has for us. Without going into the sermon itself, I don't, I don't know that the phrase praise the Lord is not awkward at times. I think it might be. I think it might be sometimes when we say it and sometimes when we hear it. Um, because I don't know how much thought is put to just saying it. Like you hear people, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. What in the world does that mean? And how is that to look? And where is that to happen? And how often is that to take place? And if you think about, just in your life, as a Christian, 
How many times have you found yourself during the week praising the Lord? Like if you were to keep a number, how many times have, have we spent just saying the phrase, praise the Lord? I praise you, Lord, for this. I praise you, Lord, for that. Well, in Psalm 150, uh, the psalmist gives us some language that's worth consideration as it relates to where we praise and how we praise and for the reasons that we praise. So I want us to um, take a look at that as we read it. I'm going to ask that you would stand as we read God's Word together. Psalm 150. The psalmist says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse or firmament. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let every Thing that has breath, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. May the Lord bless his word. And I want to ask you something to think about. Will praise be foreign to us when we step into eternity with Christ? I know that's kind of a tough question. But if it's not something we're regularly practicing here, um, I can guarantee you this. We will be regularly practicing it there. And the question becomes, for me as I've thought about this, um, how often do I praise him? Do you know that for us in the New Testament, as New Testament believers, I can praise Him anywhere I am. I can praise Him here. And we do that. There's a corporate praise that goes on every Sunday. But what about between noon on Sunday and 10.30 the next Sunday? That's all up to us. So may the Lord challenge us in that as we think about the importance of praising his name. Let's pray together. Father, we praise your name. As your word tells us, there is no one like you. You alone are God. You've made us. You sustain us. Lord, you keep us. If we belong to you, we are always yours. We have the stamp of your spirit in our lives. We have the hope of a future in your presence forever. 
your word tells us that when you were in the upper room with your disciples that you told them you were going to prepare a place for them and that you would come back and receive them to yourself and then it says and for always forever they would be with you <laughs> lord as as we see life moving by so quickly it seems we are just maybe a moment or moments hours days few years away from being in your presence for an eternity we have much to do in representing you while you while we wait your coming Lord and I pray that we would be faithful to share the wonderful news of our glorious salvation through Christ the Lord it's in his name that we pray all of this. Amen. Let's all remain standing this morning and let's continue to praise the Lord together. Stand up straight.
excited. Great is the Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. We're going to sing Psalm 150. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, sing His praise. 
Lord today, right? Thank you. You may be seated. Why don't you be seated? We have so much to be thankful for. All that God has done in creation, all that God's done in our lives. And all that God does to make our lives better in our relationship with Him, in our kingdom, as we live in His kingdom. Anyway, the, the fact of the matter is that he gives us hope that the world cannot give us. Not a hope so, but he gives us a hope. The hope that means you can count on it. Every promise that is in God's word, you know, is a hope because you can count on it. You know that it's going to happen. When God said something, he means it. Man's not that way a lot of times. We see that a lot on TV. <laughs> Man can say one thing, but he means another. God always means what he says. And when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. He did it in the past, he's doing it today, and he will do it in the future. And we have that great hope in the Lord. And his name is Jesus. And that's the only real honest hope that we have in this world. I want you to listen to the words of the choir as they sing.
feel like I'm straightening up my living room. <laughs> All right. Well, this subject today, I believe, is going to be really fun for all of us. Because it's going to put us in the right frame of mind, I, I believe. But I also believe it's going to be very challenging for us to consider just how much this happens in our lives. Um, have you ever thought about how much you praise the Lord in your life? You ever kind of just... Well, see, I've had to think about that because I've been studying. So um, I'm like... It's just right on the frontal of my forehead. Like, how often do I find myself praising the Lord? I know this. When things are good, I have a really great tendency to praise the Lord. When things are kind of rough in life, I don't know if I find myself doing that. And I had the thought that it really shouldn't matter. Because even in the storms of life, my God is my God, and He's present. And He hasn't changed. What has changed are my circumstances. Because as we're running through life and things are good, we're, man, Lord, you're good, you're good, you're good. And we're running through life and things aren't so good. The question becomes, what are we doing? And I want to say to you that I believe whether we're going through the good stuff or the bad stuff in life, we can praise the Lord. Easy to do? No, it's not. A person would be lying to you if they said that. When you lose someone close to you in death, it's hard even when you have the hope that one day you're going to see him. It's hard. It's called life. Life's hard. How many testimonies do we have in the Bible about things in life that are hard? We're going to refer to Job later, but the man lost his family. Lost everything he had. We find at the end of chapter 1, blessed be the name of the Lord. I have a thought for you. We praise what we enjoy. How does that sound to you? Is that true? We praise what we enjoy. It's about to be the fall. There's a whole lot of praising going to be going on. A whole lot of people throwing their hands up. A whole lot of people making expressions in their living rooms that you just love to see. When Alabama fumbles the ball, or Auburn misses a field goal, or Arkansas just runs right down and through Alabama and Auburn. I did some dreaming this week. <laughs> We did sing about hope, didn't we? 
praise what we enjoy. So then it begs the question, do we enjoy the Lord? And I think that that's something that must be considered not just in this little short time together, but beyond that. Like when we go home. Like when we're forced to consider what's been said today from the psalm. I want to give you a few facts about the psalm before we get into it. And I hope you'll be patient with me. I don't know how long this is going to go. It might go 20 minutes. It might go 50 minutes. So if it goes 20, you're okay. If it goes 50, you might need a snack. Praise the Lord, which begins and ends this text, is a universal phrase. You ever thought about that? It's universal. So how do you know that, Thad? Because we get our word hallelujah from that. And I've heard hallelujah all around the world. I've heard it in Belize. I've heard it in England with their crazy accent. And I heard it in Thailand, even though I didn't know it was being said, I don't think, too much. But that hallelujah part comes out. And it's great, by the way, just as a side note, to worship with people outside of the United States. If you've never done that, can I encourage you to try to do that? We have mission trips here. Hopefully we're going to be starting those back up soon and being able to go out of the country. And It's great to hear in other languages, is it not? I mean, I don't know what we think heaven's going to be, an American place. I don't have any idea, but, um, you know, every tongue, every tribe... Every people, every nation. Praise the Lord. So it's a universal phrase. It's something we don't just need to limit to the United States of America. It's a phrase or a statement that appears at the beginning and the end of Psalm 146 through Psalm 150. So I guess if I was translating that, I would say when a person begins to talk, they want you to listen. And when a person finishes, they want you to listen. And everything in between is important too. And what a way to end it. Praise the Lord. It's a compound word in the Hebrew. Two Hebrew words make up the phrase, praise the Lord. Hallel meaning praise. What was interesting as I was studying that I found that at the root of that phrase, or that word, excuse me, Hallel, it means to boast. It means to exalt. So if we're going to boast, let's boast in the name of the Lord. Does that sound good? Men don't have problems with boasting. You don't have to teach your children to boast. 
you don't have a little class set up at your house where you say, now children today, I'm going to teach you to boast. It comes natural. You say, where in the world do they get that from? Us. Because we boast. It's part of man's problem. <laughs> Pride. So if we're going to boast, my suggestion is that we would boast in the name of the Lord. Did you know that the word praise occurs 13 times just in this chapter? So you know what the theme of chapter 150 is? Praise. I could even get that, right? So Hallel means praise and then Yah is an abbreviated form of Yahweh. The self-existent eternal God. That, when, when you think on that phrase just for a bit, it is absolutely amazing. He always has been. And he always will be. So it's a compound word in the Hebrew. And we get our word hallelujah from these words. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. I'm not going to sing it. But I love the song. In fact, this last week I was thinking through all the different songs and, that I learned as a boy and, and, and just growing up. And boy, there are a lot of songs that have that word praise in there. Or the phrase, praise the Lord, or the term, hallelujah. Well, I think if it's mentioned 13 times, the word praise, and then we come to understand that he begins and ends Psalm 146 through 150 with praise the Lord, it's probably worth our consideration. Wouldn't you say? Well... So let's consider it. Um, here's the song. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. You just can't help but think of an orchestra. You know, one time I went to watch the Birmingham, the symphony. It was amazing. I didn't really, I can't say I really wanted to go, but I knew my wife liked symphonies. So I did the husband thing and I bought tickets and we went. And there was a, two or three things I remembered about being there. One, there are great places to sit. Like you want to be sitting. I don't, the mezzanine level, like you know what I'm talking about? where you're kind of looking over, that's really cool. I didn't have those seats. But I thought that would be a great place to sit. 
I remember that someone else had the same tickets we had, which is a long story. We gave them our seats and we took the other seats. But I also remember walking through and, and, and just the anticipation of what was about to take place. And I thought, you know, we praise the Lord here, and that's wonderful. But have you ever thought about the anticipation that we should have that one day we're going to be in the presence of the Lord, praising Him? <laughs> I mean, just like, whoa. It's one thing to listen to a symphony orchestra on the radio, but it's another thing to be there. By the way, they do walk around with trays. I didn't know this. I was educated a lot. Walk around with trays. They have wine. I didn't touch that tray. But they had cheese and crackers. I like that tray. It's like, hey, we can go back to this orchestra stuff. They have food. But the anticipation that while we worship here and it's great and we know our God is alive, one day we're going to be in the presence of of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to see him face to face in all his glory. And we're going to worship him. So that's a pretty good ending. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is not my notes. One of the greatest things that our children can see is us praising the Lord. One of the greatest things our grandchildren can see is us praising the Lord. I'm glad the children are in here when we're singing. It doesn't need to be something that's foreign to them. Well, I've entitled the message... A blueprint for praising God. Because I kind of think that's what it is. I think there's a blueprint here for us as we consider what it means to praise the Lord. Um, it answers some questions for us, actually. The psalm does. Questions that maybe we've had about what that looks like. First of all, it answers the question of where. Where, where is God praised? Notice what it says in verse 1, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty expanse. So on earth, first of all, and then in heaven. The word in the Hebrew there, um, praise God in his sanctuary, sanctuary refers to a place that is set apart. That's all it means. But when you think about the context and you think about the setting, the likelihood is that the psalmist is thinking about the temple. And when we think about the Old Testament, we think about the place of worship for Israel. We think about what the tabernacle and we think about the temple. Guys, you know what's so great? We can worship the Lord wherever we are. While Israel's worship is attached to a temple and a tabernacle, our worship of the Lord is, I mean, we, we don't have any chains on. 
There's no right or wrong place. Does that make sense? In other words, you're driving down the road. You can praise the Lord. You're in your cubicle at work. You can praise the Lord. You're exercising, even exercising. You can praise the Lord. Cleaning toilets. You can praise the Lord. So I believe the psalmist has in mind, first of all, the earth. Also believe that secondly, he had in mind heaven. Now this is an interesting phrasing here. And some translations have firmament. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his firmament. Or his mighty expanse. In Hebrew, an expanse is something that's spread out. As like the heavens are spread out. What's interesting is if you do a little word study on it. The word was used in the Hebrew to speak about metals that were beaten and spread out. They would spread out as they were beaten. Like gold, for example. The scriptures tell us about the heavens that are spread out. Isaiah chapter 40 says, Thus says God the Lord who created, listen to this, who created the heavens and stretched them out. And it's Isaiah 44, 24. It's written, I, the Lord, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. So, as I was looking at that, and thinking about the expanse of heaven, I ran into an explanation by Albert Barnes that I thought was pretty good, but I wanted to add to it. Albert Barnes, in writing about this phrase, mighty expanse, he said, the initial call here is to praise him where he dwells. The allusion here by the psalmist is to the temple, he believes. There's also the call here to those above the expanse. The same word that's used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 6. The voices in heaven are praising him. That's what's going on right now. Did you know that? While we're sitting here, praise is going on in heaven. The heavenly hosts are praising the Lord. We know from the um, text in Isaiah 6 that the seraphim say to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's going on all the time. He ends by saying this, the voices in heaven are praising him, the ones on earth are to join in the celebration of the Lord. But in thinking about the heavens, I kind of think that Psalm 148 gives us a picture of kind of how that looks. That yes, there's an expectation that those who are redeemed praise the Lord, but those created things, not only angels, but created things, praise the Lord. As it's expressed in Psalm 148, 1 through 5, look what it says. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. That's weird for us to think about that. Praise him, all stars of light. But who put the stars in their place? God did. 
Who put the sun in its place and the moon in its place? God did. God did. And if man won't worship him, creation will. The mountains bow down and what? The seas will roar at the what? Sound of his name. One of the things I was thinking about that gives me great satisfaction, and I don't mean this in a way that's demeaning toward the world, but the Bible says to us that every knee will bow. Every knee. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the praise of his glory. So either you bow now and you do it because he's your Lord. Or you will bow one day because he is Lord. It's so awesome to think about. That at the end of the day, when all is said and done... The Lord is the one and the only one, as is written in Revelation 4 and 5. We don't have time to look at it this morning. He is the only one worthy of praise and honor and glory. Yet maybe we live in a culture where man is praised more than God. See, I've had more time to think about this than you, so there are a lot of thoughts that I have about it. We know that the Lord is praised in heaven. We know his creation praises him. So I'm just telling you what happened with me as I'm studying and thinking through it. I'm like, Lord, I want to confess to you I don't praise you enough. Just for who you are. Which leads us to point two. Where is God praised? On earth, in heaven, Why is he praised? Why is he praised? Well, the good part is we don't have to dream up the answers. They're right here. Look at verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. We praise him for what he does. The idea behind that Hebrew word there are incomprehensible acts. Things that you just can't comprehend. So you read the Bible and you begin with the Old Testament and, and you just think about things that you, you were like, have you ever done this? Like, man, I wish I would have been there. Like being with Elijah on Mount Carmel. That's my favorite. I, it's one of my favorites. Got a lot of favorites. Being with Elijah on Mount Carmel. Wow, what must that have been like? Being one of the children of Israel who witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. <laughs> the parting of the Jordan River. To be Daniel in the lion's den and the lion's mouths are shut, that's not natural. What must that have been like for Daniel? To witness the greatness of God. So what incomprehensible acts come to mind in Israel's history? This is homework. Write it down. 
what incomprehensible acts come to mind in Israel's history? Spend this afternoon after you eat whatever it is you're going to eat. Write it down. What incomprehensible acts come to mind when the Lord walked the earth? Like, for example, turning water to wine. Or being there when you have 5,000 men plus women and children and you have five loaves and two fish and he multiplies it and, and it's just coming out of the hands of the disciples and they pick up 12 baskets full of leftovers. What must that have been like to be one of those men? Or to be Peter walking on the water? Good thing he knew how to pray. Lord, save me. And he did. So many things. What incomprehensible acts come to mind since you've been saved? Have you thought about redemption? How many times have you thought about his blood being shed? Just thinking about that whole crucifixion scene. The flogging that took place. And he was innocent. You think about the hope of glory. We sing about it. It's incomprehensible to us that one day Jesus Christ will come in the clouds to receive his church. But the Bible says it's going to happen. And I plan on being caught up. I don't know what kind of plan you got, but I I hope it's that one. Because if you're not caught up, you're going to be left here. And if you're left here, read Revelation 6 and just start reading. And you can call me. Call George. Call somebody. Because you're going to see, whoa. What incomprehensible acts do you think about that are yet future? I mean, of all the things, I was like, Lord, one day you're going to bring me into your presence. <laughs> I, just can't, I can't comprehend that. I'm not deserving of that. But all of it, that whole salvation plan is by what? It's by grace. Well, in the book of Job... The Lord reminds Job of his incomprehensible acts. You know, when people are going through problems, we tend to want to come up with these antidotes of like do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Maybe where we ought to start when we're going through hard stuff is to remember who he is. Just a suggestion. That's exactly what the Lord did with Job. Look, what does he tell Job? Hey, Job, I laid the foundations of the earth. Oh. (laughs) And I set the boundaries of the oceans. Oh. And I send the morning sun. 
I control life and death. Job, man thinks he does. I send the snow and the rain and the hail. I set the time for the birth of the animals. I instill the horse with great power. I direct the hawk and the eagle. Hey, Job, I got it. I'm good. I'm God. There's no one like me. I don't know how my notes got upside down. What a great reminder. The mighty acts of God. The next time that, I know we don't do this much, but next time that we have a pity party about something, maybe to be reminded of the mighty acts of God would help us. Because he wants us to think on them. Why do you think we have the Old Testament? Paul tells us. They're here for our example. So go back and look at it. Well, we not only praise him for what he's done, we praise him for who he is. This is one that I think that probably ought to get a little more thought. Just my opinion. Who he is. What comes to mind when you think about who God is? Comes to your mind. Thank you for saying that. I was going to say, hey, class, but <laughs> thank you, Deb. Sovereignty. When you think of God, give me words. What do you think of? Class? Creator. Creator. He's almighty. He's sustainer. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent, which I, I just can't comprehend. All. He's sovereign. I think of his providence. One of my favorite ones is his immutability. You know what that means? It means he can't change. <laughs> Isn't that so awesome? You and I change. You know how I know? Bring me some pictures from when you were 10. We change. I weighed 135 pounds when I went to college. I've changed. I no longer weigh 135 pounds. Everything around us, it just, it's constantly in flux. I was explaining that to one of my granddaughters this week. We had to do a little cleaning thing with our girls, and, and Teresa's out there. I say we. Let me rephrase that. Teresa did a little cleaning thing with our girls, and so she's cleaning all this stuff up, and one of the girls has a, has a, a zoo out in our, um, well, I call it our basement, but it's just the garage. It, it's her zoo. And she's upset because her zoo's not like it was before the cleaning took place. I'm sitting in the living room, and I'm like, I can handle this. So I said, hey, honey, come see Poppies. So she comes, and she sits by Poppies, and I'm talking to her. I said, look, one of the things that I told your daddy 
in life that the hardest thing is change. But you can count on it. It's coming. It's going to happen. And I told her, I said, you know, Poppy's has changed. And I began to explain some of that. And I just talked to her about change. We expect change, but not when it comes to God. He doesn't change. Now, what does that do for you? Oh, my goodness. Rest. We can rest in the Lord. Because as Ron said earlier, when he says it, that's it. So he says he's coming for his church, that's it. All the prophecies of the Old Testament, right, we look at them. You think about just one simple one in Micah 5, 2. The Lord's going to be born in Bethlehem. Where was he born? Bethlehem. All fulfilled. You take all those prophecies. We can depend on our Lord. He does not change. William Tyndale, when he was writing about um, the Lord, he talked about his goodness. You know, I think it's on Easter we say, we have a phrase we repeat, but then this is the one we tend to say a good bit here. God is good all the time. And what do you say? You believe that? God is good all the time. You don't believe it too much. God is good all the time. That's what William Tyndale believed. Isn't it great to have people we can look back and go, man, they, they believe that same God we believe in. He spoke of his goodness. He said, God's goodness is the root of all goodness. God is the source of everything that is good, and apart from him there is no goodness. <laughs> That's the truth. He's good. He's a good, good God. Well, that's the why. Now we move to the how. The how might make you uncomfortable, but it'll be all right. Because we got to talk about instruments. We got to talk about dancing. The instruments you may not have much of a problem with. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but just mention them. He says in verse 3, Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals and praise him with resounding cymbals. So there's a little information there. Trumpet used a lot in celebrations like Day of Atonement. You think about some of the celebrations of Israel. Um, they were used to announce the coming of a king, which that's interesting. We know a king that's coming, don't we? That's right. Say it louder, Tommy. When the trumpet sounds. First Thessalonians 4, in case you need a reference. Stringed instruments. So I got to thinking about these stringed instruments, and I don't know much about stringed instruments. One time I was going to take a guitar lessons, and that didn't work out. I got disinterested really quick. Um, but the harp and the lyre. And I was thinking about the, the story of Saul. You remember that story? So you think about the harp and the lyre, and you think of the lyre is the one actually mentioned in the story. But you think about, it's translated to harp, but it's lyre. You think about 
the soothing nature of an instrument. And I will say, when I went to the symphony, boy, it was nice. I could go to sleep easily listening to that. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, this is what it says. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp, the lyre, and play it with his hand. And Saul would be refreshed and be well. And the evil spirit would depart from him. So you have the trumpet, you have the harp, you have the lyre. Uh-oh. You have the timbrel and dance. We'll talk about the timbrel in a minute. Now I want to make sure you understand this. Some, some scholars believe that the word dance there is referring to a pipe, another instrument. Okay, And so there's lots of discussion about it. And you can this afternoon go back and read about it if you want to. But the reality is that we do have dancing in Scripture no matter how you view this particular word. I'm going to give you an example of that in just a minute. And it is linked to praising the Lord. Um, so the timbrel was a skin stretched over a broad hoop, something like the tambourine, which we're familiar with. And then you have a pipe, which is more like what they would call a wind instrument, right? Does that make sense? Um, and that's the, the kind of the description of that. And then, um, these were two of my favorites. The loud symbols and the resounding symbols. And as I was studying upon it, and I gave you, I don't know if I gave it to you in your notes. Yeah. Um, that's where I got all the information. So don't think I just sat in my office and thought, thought of all that. Um, the loud symbols and the resounding symbols. And as I was studying it, I thought it was interesting. The loud or the resounding symbols, the difference between the two is the resounding symbols they would take and they would strike them over their head. And it made more more sound, okay? That's, that's the thought behind that. So you have all these different instruments that were used, and there's lots of different contexts that you could go to in Scripture to see that these instruments were used in praising the Lord, whether you're talking about the dedication of the temple, the dedication of the wall. There's lots of different, uh, different um, examples. But it also says with dancing. And so... Like I said, there's some discussion about the word that's used there because the Hebrew word could refer to a pipe or it could refer to literal dance. I thought, well, okay, we're not going to have an issue with the pipe, but we are maybe have an issue with dance. So let me just share two things with you. When I went to Belize, Central America, I was around some missionaries there who we all know. Kit and Marion Fuller. And um, when Marion worships the Lord, I don't know that when we think of dancing, we kind of think of modern dancing or whatever, but that's not really how we need to think. But but Marion is like this. You know, she'll she'll in her place, but she's praising the Lord. Now, in some churches, if I brought her up here and she's doing all that, people be like, ooh, I don't know if that's right. That's the truth. Because we worship, right, in a culture. So when we're exposed to other cultures, it can be different. And I promise you, when I went to Belize in 1992 for the first time, I was like, oh, that's different. Because she's just, I mean, Marion's Marion. And she's going to worship the Lord. And I thought, well, that's all right. How many of you have been to other countries and you've seen worship? 
where people are actually moving their legs and their feet and they're clapping. Try that in some of our churches around here and be tough. I don't think we can deny that it happens. The question becomes, how do you handle it? I think Paul gives in the New Testament a good kind of a benchmark for how we worship. When he says in 1 Corinthians 14 that when we do things, they're to be done decently and in order. And how that works out in our culture is going to be different in every venue. We have people here, and I've noticed the progression over the years, because when I first started attending Springville Road, it was like this. Buttoned up, oh, worship the king, right? That's how it was. And as years went on, I, every once in a while I would see somebody raising their hand. I'm like, okay, well, what's the issue in Scripture with hands being raised? Is it the raising of the hands that's a problem? No. It's the issue of holy hands. So when I'm raising my hands, my hands are extended out to praise the Lord. My goodness, on Saturdays, my hands are extended quite a bit over my head. Go hogs, go. There's nothing wrong with me saying, Lord, I love you. I praise your name. Is there? I think what happens is, and this is, what you, this is where it's difficult, is it makes some people uncomfortable. That's the truth. But you can't measure the person's heart that's doing it. There's only one that can do that. And who's that? Lord. Now, you're not going to see me up there doing that. I don't do that a bunch. But every once in a while, I am into something being sung, and I'm like right where the Spirit's speaking to me, and I'm like, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, you're coming back. Well, in Exodus 15, I know we're running out of time. In Exodus 15, it says here, after the crossing of the Red Sea, it says, Miriam the prophetess Aaron's sister took the timbrel in her hand, so the timbrel was associated with the dance. And all the women went out after, <coughs> excuse me, with her, with timbrels and with dancing. Now, if you've been in bondage for 400 years, what are you going to do? Dance. You're not dancing to yourself or to, to, to get the glory from other people. You're dancing to the Lord. And in fact, the emphasis here is not on the dancing. Notice in 21, it's on the singing. While there was dancing going on, Exodus 15, 21 says, Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he is hurled into the sea. You know, I'm sure many theologians have a hard time commenting on this, but Spurgeon wrote this. This form of worship set forth the most jubilant worship. The hands and the feet were both employed. And it's going to be nice when we get to heaven. We're just going to worship. We're not going to be worried about the subpoints. Am I getting this right and this right? No. He's going to be the focus. Stephen Cole, in writing about this, said, Worship is not to be a somber, formal exercise devoid of joy. Boy, that can happen in a congregation where you walk in and you're like, man, there's a funeral going on. You know, I was like, well, hold on a second. We're here to worship the Lord. And I like what he says. Yes, we need to be reverent, as is fitting in the presence of our holy God. 
Yes, all things need to be done decently and in order. And he gets that from 1 Corinthians 14. And of course, there's a place for uh, soberness, <coughs> and we confess our sins, and we think on the Lord's death, and that's proper to do that. But God also wants his people to celebrate his goodness. Not at God's funeral. We serve a risen Savior. Our faces should reflect that we are genuinely enjoying God and his bountiful provision for us. It's like I heard one guy say one time, our uh, church services shouldn't be like when people are sitting like this. Man, we have a lot to smile about. We have a lot to praise our Lord about. So, hey, look, I know it's uncomfortable a little bit, but it'll be all right. There's a story told of a man who came to Christ from a non-religious background. This is really interesting. So he didn't know the Christian jargon. He didn't have the language down. He didn't get the dictionary. And when he was baptized, he came up out of the water and he was clapping his hands and he said, hot dog, hot dog, hot dog. (laughs) He was excited about God saving him. It might have made you uncomfortable if you're the one baptizing you. But praise the Lord, right? I'll do it in a minute. And then he ends the psalm this way. Who is to praise God? In verse 1, notice it says praise the Lord. And so all through here you have an unnamed or an assumed audience. I assume the audience is those who are redeemed who are Israel. But it's clear that he has an audience in mind as you go through here. He's talking to people. So we could even say, even though we don't have the exact personage, we could say this. He's talking to the redeemed. The redeemed are to praise the Lord. And then verse 6 tells us that all that has breath is to praise the Lord. So from our youngest of believers to the oldest of believers, we are to praise The Lord. Everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. C.H. Spurgeon said, Praise is the rehearsal of our eternal song. By grace we learn to sing. And in glory we continue to sing. Listen, song is very important. I don't know how you come on a Sunday and what your mindset is. But central and most important is the Word of God. But within the Word of God, there are songs that are sung, songs that are said, praise that is given. And so it's very, very important. I think about the choir and the different praise teams. We are blessed to have people that lead us every week into that praise of our Lord and our Savior. And so my final question to you is when do we praise the Lord? I want you to listen to this concluding story. Years ago, there was an elderly man. He was a Christian man, a great singer, who learned he had cancer of the tongue and that surgery was required. 
in the hospital after everything was ready for the operation, the man said to the doctor, are you sure I will never sing again? And the surgeon with difficulty said, I'm sure. The man asked if he could sit up one last time. The doctor said, sure. He said, I want to sing to my Lord. The man said, I've had many good times of singing praises to the Lord, and I want to do it one more time while I still have my tongue. And in the presence of the doctors and those who were attending to him, he sang this song, I'll praise my maker while I have breath. And when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. My days of praise shall never pass. While life and thought and being last, I'll praise my maker while I have breath. When I was a boy, um, I'm going to come over here. So I don't know what y'all do with that camera. (laughs) I don't think it matters. Um, when I was a boy, my mom wanted me to play the piano really bad because she could play it pretty well. And um, I was thinking about her efforts with me, and they were lost on this boy who just didn't want anything to do with that. But as I've thought about it over the last week or two, I came in here the other day, and I sat down, and there's only one song that I just know a little bit too. And it's a Christmas song. But I'll see if you recognize it. I'm not going to play all of it because it could be kind of rough. But as I sat in here the other day in the sanctuary, I thought, man, Lord, thank you for people who put time into this, who lead me into the sanctuary of my God. See if you recognize this song huh huh it's not bad huh? it just it would be a pretty pretty it would be, be a pretty uh pretty slow song <laughs> silent <laughs> but I got to thinking about a lot of things when I was sitting back there. And I thought, Lord, I'm just thankful that right now I have breath to praise you. And I'm thankful to know, Lord, that when I take my last breath here on earth, I'm going to be delivered into your presence to praise you for an eternity. Let's pray together. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise his holy name. Amen. Well, this is a perfect song to end with after that, guys, and hopefully after that service, guys. I mean, that was perfect, man. For us to just close out worshiping the Lord, right? So let's do it together.
seated. Um, this morning we want to welcome some new members uh, to our family and I'm going to have them come up and I am just to stand. I wasn't going to but I think it's important because like you know sometimes on the Sundays you, you're over here and you're like I don't know those people over here and I just want everybody to, to see your face so some couldn't be here today but I wanted to um, make mention of the ones on the sheet that I have, so David and Aida Anderson, so if you can come forward, bring your family with you, Aida, please do, okay? Just wherever they want, you can come right up here, it's fine. I feel a little taller when you're there. Right? <laughs> a Diane Fowler? Darlene Giardina. Wanda Kincaid. And uh, Sydney Landers could not be here today. Um, she's working, but I want to make mention of Sydney, and most of you know who Sydney is. She's getting married October 1st. Kevin, Kevin came up to me today and he said, Dad, you, you do know that Alabama plays Arkansas that day? I said, I do. <laughs> and he said, it's going to be the shortest wedding ever. I said, that's right. <laughs> Depends on how we're doing. 
Um, but anyway, Sydney Landers is one of uh, our college students who is now getting married. And I just want to make mention of that because it's important, I think, for you high school seniors and early college-age students to, to know this can be your family, right, for, for a long time. And we want you to be a part of that. And so we're thankful that Sydney's joining us as well uh, for membership. So we just praise the Lord for all these guys, right? And so if I could get you guys to go down to the front here, and um, I'm just going to have a word of prayer and thank the Lord for you guys. And then if y'all could just come up and, and introduce yourself to them, make them feel a welcome here, we really, really would appreciate it. All right, let's pray. Father, you are, as we talked about this morning, a good, good God. Thank you that we can enjoy fellowship with you and with other believers. I thank you for the ones in front of me that are standing here and desirous to join this fellowship. We're thankful for that. And I pray that each one of us as members uh, here at Grace would um, welcome them into our family walk beside them in their lives, um, and that we would um, encourage one another. Thank you so much for our time together this morning, and may we think more on praising you. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You're dismissed, but you aren't dismissed. You guys stay up here. All right.